0: Let's see, we'll get the microphone on. It's a great honor and blessing to be with you this morning. I'm very much looking forward to uh, sharing the Word of God with you this morning. I, uh, as, as was mentioned, I live in the state of Michigan, uh, and this is my favorite time to come to New England. So uh, whenever I am here this time of year, I definitely enjoy it. We got to see a lot of beautiful color. Thank you all for providing that once again this year. That was very kind of you. Um, let's see if I can. There we go. Uh, my message this morning is based on a question that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. There's actually two different questions that he asks them. He asks them, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? and then, Who do you say that I am? If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and we will begin reading in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, that means Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's just go ahead and read the rest of this uh, chapter, starting verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. All right, I just want to uh, think about this question, these two questions really that Jesus asks his disciples uh, in this situation. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? Now when Jesus asks a question in the New Testament, and he asks many questions, I believe that um, he is trying to help the people that he's asking to think about their beliefs, their assumptions, their relationship with God, their understanding of biblical principles and in this particular situation when Jesus is asking this question who do people say that the son of man is and who do you say that I am I don't believe he's asking this because he doesn't know what people in society think about him I don't think he's asking the question because he doesn't know what the disciples think about him I believe he He knows, the scripture tells us, that Jesus knew what was in the hearts of men. So I don't believe that this question is there so much for his benefit. Uh, I also, based on what I know about Jesus from the scriptures, I I don't believe that Jesus was insecure and that he he was insecure about what people around him thought. I also don't believe that he was planning to run for political office and was doing a a, getting an opinion poll to see how he was trending in popular society I don't think that's what's going on here so when we see Jesus ask a question in the New Testament it's very imperative for us to stop and consider two things first of all what is it that Jesus wants the disciples since they're the ones being asked to think about or to ponder or to consider in this text and the second thing that I think he wants us to consider is that, is, is that there's an application for us as well. Since this is recorded in the Scripture, or John, the, the Apostle John tells us that there were many, many other things that Jesus taught and that Jesus did and that Jesus said that didn't get recorded in Scripture. Uh, in fact, you know, we're told that, uh, that probably the, the earth couldn't contain you know, all of the wonders of the things that, that Jesus did in his short life. And yet, this got recorded. And so, since it is recorded in the holy text of Scripture, I believe there must be an application for us as well. There's something that Jesus wants us to think about. There's something that Jesus wants us to consider from these two questions. So, let's look at the first question first. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? I think the reason that Jesus is asking the disciples this question is because he wants them to be aware of people's perception of him and to know what people are thinking about him. And of course, uh, they give an answer. Uh, They say, well, some people say that you're John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah, some people say you're Jeremiah, or perhaps one of the prophets. And of course, Uh, When they they answer this question, it's clear that they do have their finger on the pulse of what people in their society at that time thought about Jesus, and all of the answers that they give here about who the Son of Man is, who Jesus is, were wrong. Uh, This was not who Jesus was. He wasn't one of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus was someone entirely different, someone unique, someone special, and so the disciples rightly understood that people had a perception about Jesus that at that time seemed to be relatively positive. I mean, they're not saying about Jesus, oh, we think he's a horrible, terrible person, or, oh, we think about Jesus that he's some seditious zealot who's trying to have an uprising against the Romans. This was not their perception. They saw him as being some kind of a a good moral prophet, someone who's in the the tradition or the line of some of the great prophets uh, in the Old Testament, and yet they miss who he is. They, They don't see him correctly. They don't see him for who he is. It was important, Jesus felt, for the disciples to have an understanding of the perception that those around them, that those that they worked with, that those that they were interfacing with, um, thought and what they believed about Jesus. I also believe that this question has relevance for us today as well. What do people think about Jesus today in our time? And what, what have people been thinking about Jesus? Well, I want to read to you some famous quotes about what people have said about who Jesus is and the first one that I want us to look at is the famous atheist Richard Dawkins let's see what Richard Dawkins said about Jesus he said Jesus was a great moral teacher somebody as intelligent as Jesus would have been an atheist if he had known what we know today the late atheist author christopher hitchens went so far as to not to deny jesus actual existence he said jesus of nazareth is not a figure in history there's no firm evidence that he ever existed the famous atheist bertrand russell wrote this about him he said i now want to say a few words on the topic which i often think is not quite sufficiently dealt with by rationalists And that is the question whether Christ was the best and wisest of men. It is generally taken for granted that we should all agree that he was so. I do not myself. I think there are a good many points upon which I agree with Christ a great deal more than the professing Christians do. I do know that I could... Uh, I, I do not know that I could go with him all the way, but I could go with him much farther than most professing Christians can. It's an interesting take on Jesus, isn't it? The New Age guru Deepak Copra said, I see Christ as a state of consciousness that we can all aspire to. Bart Ehrman uh, is a man who was, Formerly an evangelical Christian, he was a graduate from Moody Bible Institute. Uh, He went to Princeton. He studied New Testament scholarship under uh, Professor Metzger at Princeton. And then he deconstructed and became an agnostic. And sadly today, he is quite sought out for his opinions about the New Testament and the historicity and reliability of the texts of the New Testament. Uh, specifically because he used to be an evangelical and now he is agnostic and he said this about Jesus he said the Christians did not invent Jesus they invented the idea that the Messiah had to be crucified whether we like it or not Jesus certainly existed (laughs) what's interesting about saying that the Christians invented the idea that G, that the Messiah had to be crucified I'm pretty sure that that's in Isaiah 53 I'm pretty sure that was not something written by the uh, by the, the New Testament Christians atheist author Sam Harris had this cynical view of Jesus Jesus Christ a carpenter by trade was born of a virgin ritually murdered as a scapegoat for the collective sins of his species and then resurrected from death after an interval of three days. He promptly ascended bodily to, quote, heaven, where for two millennia he has eavesdropped upon and on occasion even answered the simultaneous prayers of billions of beleaguered human beings. Not content to maintain this numinous arrangement indefinitely, this invisible carpenter will one day return to earth to judge humanity for its sexual indiscretions and skeptical doubts at which time he will grant immortality to anyone who has the good fortune to be convinced on his mother's knee that this baffling litany of miracles is the most important series of truth claims ever revealed about the cosmos. Every other member of our species, past, present, and present from Cleopatra to Einstein, no matter what his or her terrestrial accomplishments, will probably be consigned to a fiery hell for all eternity. End quote. You can see sam harris doesn't think very highly of jesus one renowned religious leader declared jesus to simply be another human being he said i think of jesus as a human being a historical person later understood as the son of god i relate to him as a natural jesus an extraordinary human being one of the few who have become universal teachers But what do people, contemporary, average, ordinary people in American society believe about Jesus? I think it's important for us to know. I believe this is one of the reasons that Jesus asked the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? I think Jesus wants us to know in our day and time what people around us think about Jesus, what they believe about him, how they perceive him. Do they see him as a, a good moral person? Do they see him as a historical figure? Do they, what, what are their impressions of him? The greatest researcher of all things related to the Christian church over the last 40 years is a man named Dr. George Barna. And he has uh, constantly put out new studies, new research with his finger on the pulse of what people in our society believe and what people even in Christian churches believe believe about Christianity, about the Bible, about who Jesus is. He just came out with a brand new study here in 2023, and he says this, quote, 32% of American teens say they follow Jesus. So almost one-third of teens say they follow Jesus. However, looking at older Gen Z uh, in the U.S., these are adults ages 18 to 22, We see just how sharply faith may decline in young adulthood. The committed Christian category shrinks to nearly half, 17%, while more than half of young adults, 52%, do not identify as Christian or know of Jesus. So what we're seeing is that the the younger each generation is, the less likely they will be to say that they follow Jesus. That if you have uh, people in their in their 30s, their mid 30s, um, they're twice as likely to say that they follow Jesus than those who are 18 years old. So there's a growing skepticism about all of Christian belief in the United States. In fact, the largest growing of uh, the largest growing um, association or affiliation uh, of religion in the United States is what they call nuns not n-u-n's like Catholic nuns but n-o-n-e's nuns they say I have no religion this is the fastest growing segment of I guess we would say disbelief within the United States the younger you are the less likely you are to be affiliated with any kind of Christian belief and I think this is important for us to know within the church That the older you are, the more likely you are to think positively of Christianity. The more likely you are to embrace some sort of Christian faith. And the younger you are, the the less likely. I think we need to start asking questions about why this is. Why are so many young people uh, just saying, I don't want to be affiliated with any type of religious belief. I'm just sort of a skeptic. I don't think there's anything that's trustworthy. So in one sense, why should we care what people think about Jesus? Well, I think it's important for us to know what people think about Jesus because one of the commandments that we have been given within the Scripture is that we're supposed to evangelize. We're supposed to share our faith with other people. And it's, it's very important for us to know what other people know, to know their, their background, to know their belief system. If if you were to go back in the United States, say to the 1950s, and you were to start talking to people about Jesus, almost everyone in society would know what you were talking about. They would have some point of reference. They would maybe not be Bible-believing Christians, but they would certainly have every indication. They would know entirely what you were referring to because there was a Christian ethos within our society that's not the case anymore. And so many times I think we assume things falsely about our neighbors. We assume things falsely, particularly about young people and about what they know. We assume that they have some kind of a a Christian background. For six years, I served as a chaplain in a juvenile center. So it's a youth prison, if you will. And I would go in on Sundays and we would share the gospel. And there was another chaplain who would go in with me, a uh, dear friend of mine. His name's Dave. And Dave was a, a good fundamental Baptist guy. And he was very evangelistic and wanted to see people get saved. And he had a real kind of shortcut method for just, you know, just cut right in there and get right to the point. And so I remember one time we got called in, and there was a young man who was in this uh, youth prison that w- we were particularly concerned about. Um, we had heard in the news that there was a young man who was only 15 years old who had called in a bomb threat to a public school and had threatened to blow up the school. Uh, the police were able to apprehend him and arrest him, thankfully, before anyone was hurt. But we went and had our regular chapel service, and as we were sharing you know, with the young people in chapel, there was one young man who sat in the corner, and he was cold as ice, and I kind of had an idea that this is probably the young man that we were talking to, and so, or that that we were were suspecting was the uh, potential bomber, and so as we were getting ready to close our class, uh, I just said, is there anybody who would be willing to meet with us on Tuesday? We can come in for a visitation on Tuesday. Anybody would be willing to meet with us and just have a conversation? And he raised his hand. And so um, when we sat down with him, uh, his very first question to us was, I want to know why God hates gays. Very interesting way to start a conversation with a a very angry young man. And uh, so I said, well, I want to ask you a little bit about your background. I'd like to ask you some questions, because I found sometimes the best way to reach someone is not necessarily to start preaching at them, although... You know, we we do want to preach the gospel, but sometimes it's good to ask questions to learn a little bit about them. And he told me how he had been abandoned by his parents and he'd bounced around in the foster care system and he'd gone from one foster home to another foster home and he never really had had a family and he didn't feel like he fit in and he felt very isolated and very, very um, you know, outside of, of acceptance within society. And uh, so obviously, you know, I'm trying to think of what's the best way to to introduce the gospel to him. And uh, my friend Dave just decided, hey, time's getting on. You know, we got things to do. And so he cuts the chase. He says, let me ask you a question, young man. Have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? He said, no. He says, well, would you like to do that right now? I can help you. We can say a simple prayer. You know, you repeat the words after me. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart. Would you like to do that? young man said, no. And I said, Dave, hold on a second. I said, I just, I want to, I want to ask another question here. I said, have you ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth? Do you have any idea who Jesus is? He said, no. I said, okay, Dave, we might want to dial this back a little bit. We might want to back this up a little bit. Because what's Dave doing? Dave is assuming that this young man has all this kind of church background that Fundamental Baptist Dave has. Well, he doesn't. He's never heard of Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's just an angry young man who got bounced around in foster home. So we had to back up. We had to start with the very beginning. And, And so I think it's important for us as Christians, when we're sharing our faith with others, that we don't necessarily assume that people have a Bible background, that they have a church background, that they even know what we're talking about or that they even have any conception whatsoever of who Jesus is? Now, in, 19, or sorry, in 2022, just last year, there was a study that came out, again, from the Barna Group, and uh, they were asking what young people today, teens in particular, believe about Jesus. And it seems that, for the most part, if people do have a, a perception of Jesus, um, that it's generally positive— in fact, uh, when teens were asked, like, how would you describe Jesus? The number one answer that they gave was, he offers hope to people. That was 46% said that. The next answer was, he cares about people, 43 43%. 43%. He's trustworthy, 38%. He's generous, 37%. He makes a real difference in the world today. Uh, 23% said, I can have a personal relationship with him. So only one-fourth would would say that about Jesus. Uh, 10% said he's known for the things he's against. 8% said he is detached from today's real issues. 7% said he's judgmental. 6% said he's irrelevant. 4% said he's hypocritical. And then 20% said, I have no idea at all. I just have no concept of who Jesus is. I know nothing about him whatsoever, 20%. So think about that. I mean, the fact that one out of every five teenagers that you meet just has zero idea who Jesus is. No concept whatsoever. So, but half of all of the teenagers that you meet out in the world, their, their view of Jesus is gonna be, you know, I think he's a pretty good guy. It seems like he, he represents kindness and caring about people and trying to help people. That would be their understanding, their viewpoint of Jesus. Barna says, data show it's rare that teens think poorly of Jesus. Most teenagers around the world have a positive perception of him. About half of all teens across faith groups describe Jesus as loving and believe he offers hope and cares about people. The global impression of Jesus is that he's trustworthy, generous, wise, peaceful, and the glowing list goes on. But then he says, although 87% of teens believe Jesus was a real person who lived on earth and 78% believe he was born to a virgin, nearly half believe that he committed sins during his life. And more than half, 51%, say that Jesus never rose from the dead. 51% say Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And the vast majority of these young people, 65%, say that there's no way to tell which religion is true. One survey of church youth who identify, self-identify as Christians reveal that only one out of four churched Christian youth would strongly and consistently affirm the belief that Jesus is God. So these are of all the young people in the United States who go to church, who attend Christian churches, only one out of four will consistently affirm that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he was God in a human body. So of young people who are currently attending various denominational Christian churches, they were asked, would you affirm these four statements? Number one, the Bible is completely trustworthy in what it says about Jesus. Number two, Jesus is God. Number three, Jesus physically lived, died, and came back to life. And number four, Jesus is the only way to heaven. So I want you to think about these in your own mind. Would you affirm these four statements? Sadly, only 9% of all currently churched youth would affirm all four of those statements. Only 9%. We're not talking about those out in the secular culture. We're talking about young people who are currently still today attending church. Only 9%. Will affirm all four of those statements. And those are very basic, very fundamental, foundational biblical doctrines. In his book, Already Gone, Ken Ham revealed that two thirds of all church youth who are still currently attending church said that as soon as they have the opportunity to stop going to church, they will. But 66% say, I plan to no longer go to church as soon as I'm old enough to make up my own mind. Two out of three. I think it's important for us to know these things. I think it's important for us to be familiar with this information. Because sometimes I think we have a false sense of security that simply because our children are in the building and we have young people who are still attending church that they're committed to Christianity or that they believe Christianity, that they buy into Christianity. And yet when you see these studies that say that two-thirds are planning to leave pretty much around high school graduation, that only one one out of four will affirm consistently that Jesus is the son of God and only 9% will say the Bible is trustworthy about what it says about Jesus, that Jesus is God, Jesus physically lived, died, and came back to life and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Only 9% of church youth will affirm those things. I think it's important for us to know this because I think what we've been doing is we've sort of been doing church as usual. We've just been kind of coasting and assuming that what we're doing is getting the job done, and yet statistically it shows that what we're doing is not working. And so I think we need to stop and consider some of these things and start asking. I mean, it makes sense why young people in the world who aren't raised in Christian homes and don't attend Christian churches, why they would not believe in Jesus. That makes sense. But how can we account for and how can we understand what's happening within the Christian church? And this disconnect, and this radical generational disconnect, even between someone who's 35 years old and someone who's 18 years old, that someone 18 years old is only half as likely to buy into Christianity as someone 35. How do we explain this, and how do we understand it? And to what, and, and how can we, as a Christian church, respond to this? How can we... Help to remedy this situation? What changes might we need to make in order to see this trend change? So then Jesus pivots and he moves and he asks this second question But who do you say that I am? Okay, we know what the culture thinks, we know what people in general and society think, but what do you say? What is your response? And Simon Peter, being the spokesperson for the disciples, as he almost always was, spoke up first. Got to love the the guy with ADD. You know, he's always there opening his mouth. And so he's going to say something, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him, and he says that flesh and blood didn't reveal this. This was revealed by the Heavenly Father. What's interesting uh, is there's a parallel passage to this in Mark's gospel. Um, we actually have a couple of different variations on this. Um, in Luke 9, uh, we, we have a similar passage. And then uh, in Mark chapter 8, we have a similar passage. But in, in Mark's gospel, it's a little bit different because Mark was probably um, closest to the apostle Peter. Um, in fact the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, called John Mark my son. He was not his biological son, but he had that kind of close relationship with Mark. And if you remember when Peter was let out of prison uh, by the angel and, and he went to the prayer meeting, the prayer meeting that Peter went to was at the home of John Mark's mother. And so Um, John Mark was very close with the Apostle Peter, and and most theologians, I believe, rightly believe that uh, Mark's gospel uh, drew very directly from testimony from Peter. And so when Mark tells this story, this narrative of Jesus asking the question, who do you say that I am, It, it includes the rebuke, which is, you know, later, where right after having affirmed that you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God, he turns around and says, but, but you're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus has to rebuke him. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You're not speaking what's correct here. You're a hindrance to me. So Mark's gospel shares the, the rebuke. It shares the correction, but it doesn't share the commendation. And I think that's very interesting because I think that when Mark is compiling His account here and he's asking the Apostle Peter about it it shows something about the humility of the older Peter that he he goes ahead and includes the rebuke he wants that to be in the story but he but he doesn't include this commendation that Jesus gives to him he he leaves that part out and some people have I think misinterpreted this passage uh, certainly the Roman Catholic Church has where he says, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. And so the Roman Catholic Church has, has tried to say that you know, Jesus built his church on, on Peter. I don't believe that's what's intended in the passage. I believe that what Jesus is saying is it's on this profession that I will build my church, the profession that Christ is the son of the living God. That is the foundation on which the church for 2,000 years has been built this declaration, this confession that Jesus is not a mere mortal. He's not a mere man. He's not a good prophet or a good moral teacher. He is, in fact, the Messiah. He is, in fact, the Son of the living God. So who do we say that Jesus is? It is very important for each one of us to resolve this question in our own hearts and in our own minds. And, and I would like to to present this very specifically to the young people today for you to consider because many of you have been raised in church, you've been raised in Christian homes and in Christian families, and yet you have to decide what do you do with Jesus? What is your view of Jesus? What do you, what do, you do with the claims of Jesus? How do you think about Him? Who do you say He is? I love the explanation that C.S. Lewis gives us of Jesus and mere Christianity, where he says this, quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. Well, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher he would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell you must make your choice either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse "'You can shut him up for a fool. "'You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. "'Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. "'But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense "'about him being a great human teacher. "'He has not left that open to us. "'He did not intend to. "'Now it seems to me obvious that he was, either, that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. In his memoirs called Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis talks about how he was the the most reluctant convert to christianity in all of england he was an atheist he didn't want to believe in god and yet as he studied the gospels and he thought about the claims of christ and the fact that jesus hadn't left open other options for us to believe you know that he's just a good moral teacher or that he's you know he was a, a good man because of what he claimed, he was binary. He had to accept that Jesus was who he claimed he was or, or that he wasn't. And as he looked at the word of God, he became compelled that this Jesus is unlike anyone else in human history and that all the evidence seemed to point to the fact that he was who he said he was. And so he said, I remember that night when... Uh, when he said, I, I came you know, kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God as the most reluctant convert in all of England. And, and C.S. Lewis went from being someone who was oppositional to Christianity to being one of the, the greatest apologists of Christianity in the 20th century. I think it's important for us to realize that there is no one who is, is too far gone. There's no one who is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And there may be people that you know, people that you're in relationship with, employee, employers or employees or you know, co-workers or uh, neighbors, relatives, and you think to yourself, these people are unreachable. There's no possible way that they could become Christians. And yet, we don't know that. I think it's important for us when we have relationships with people that we are willing to ask the question, what do you think about Jesus? What, What do you believe about Jesus? It's good for us to know what people think about Jesus. But more importantly than that, it's very important for us to be clear in our own mind who we believe Jesus is. Because it's very difficult to do evangelism effectively if you're not a Christian yourself. Right. So, the first thing that we have to settle is what have we done with the claims of Christ? Who do we believe that Jesus is? And then, with that settled and, and with an, a clear understanding of, of who Jesus is and the fact that we have made him our Savior, we have the opportunity then to be able to share Christ to the lost world around us. And I believe that there are many people who would receive the gospel, who would respond to the gospel, and yet. It seems to me like quite often we don't present it. We don't share it. We don't take the risk of talking to them about Christ. I was talking with a man just two days ago. I had breakfast with him, and he was telling me how it was a conversation on an airplane that changed his life. He said it was this little old lady who just started asking him questions. That's all she did. He said that's all she did the whole flight was ask questions. She didn't preach at me. She didn't tell, she just asked me questions. And by the end of that flight, he said, I was so coming apart because I realized I just did not have good answers for my life. And he said, it was very clear to me that she had, there was a bear trap at the end of this trail and she was leading me towards it. (laughs) And he said, I got caught in the bear trap. And he said, I feel like I'm still dragging that bear trap around with me. But it was, you know, just a simple, simple elderly lady who was willing to ask questions and to help guide someone in the right direction. And so we can do that. We can share our faith with other people. I'd like to lead us in prayer, but as I do, I would like for each person here, especially those of you who are young, I would like for us to consider and to weigh in our hearts, who is Jesus? Jesus. And what do we believe? And I want to suggest to you that it's not sufficient for you to simply say, I've been raised in a Christian home, and I've been raised in a Christian family. And, and maybe in your life so far to this point, maybe you have never surrendered your life to Christ. And I would like to encourage you, even right now where you are, in your seat, I would like to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given us your word, and we thank you that your word contains everything we need for life and for godliness. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed in your word who Jesus is, and that through Jesus we can receive forgiveness of our sins and we can receive eternal life. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here today who has not given their life to you, Lord, that they would surrender their life to you and that they would acknowledge you for who you are and that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, that they may be saved. I ask you to do that today in them, in their heart, in their lives. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, who know that you are our Savior and our Lord, we pray that you would teach us how to be better witnesses and how to Be willing to confess you before men and to be willing to share the light and the hope of the gospel with the world around us that they may come to know you not just as a good person or a moral teacher but as the risen son of god who is coming again in all power to judge the living and the dead so lord we just commit this word that we've read this morning to your holy spirit that you would Do the work in us that you desire to do and that it would bear much fruit. And we commit this to you in Jesus Christ's name, amen.